When you got it, say so. All right. It says this, it says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, the archangel in in contending with the devil where, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the, rebel, in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust and their mouth great, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last days who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. God, we thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you for its inspiration, and we thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your presence and to be before your word, before your counsel, before your throne. And so speak to us this morning, God. Let us hear what you are saying to your church. Let us have ears to hear, Lord God, hearts to respond. May you be glorified in these next few moments. We pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord and so today I want to speak as we continue in our series, Defending the Faith, a, a sermon entitled Rebels Rejected, Rebels Rejected. And we live in this moment, if you think about what's going on in our present day, where rebellion against God, 
against religion, rethinking one's beliefs, or deconstructing one's faith is becoming normative. It's celebrated. You know, I was reading someone a long time ago, and, and someone had on their description of who they are in Twitter, they were saying that they, ha- they are having to unlearn everything they learned. And they're speaking of their religion. And the other last week, I don't know if you're aware of this, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but the number one Christian album on iTunes was by Semler. And the title of the album was Preacher's Kid. How many of y'all know that, knew that? Anybody in here knew that? Okay. So anyway, I share all of that just because the issue is that the person who Semler is, I don't know her her real name, I, I didn't write that one down, but she is actually an open lesbian who uh, is, is, is in her album making fun of Christianity and, mu- and much of what she's saying. And so I didn't listen to the whole album, so I, I just want to confess that. I didn't listen to any of the album, to be honest with you. What I did, I did read an article that spoke about words in the album, quoting the album. In this album, she makes fun of mission trips. She makes fun of youth lock-ins. And she goes through all of this stuff, right? And, and, and then the other one, another one of my friends that I do listen to, he says that there's a bunch of profanity in there. Now, here's here's why this is a problem. It's it's an issue, right? Because you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's a Christian album. Okay. <laughs> Christian artists, right? And so how did that make that there? Now, I don't know if, you've, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. This actually happened to me, so this is not just something that could happen. One day when I, you guys remember, I was Ubering, and I put on a playlist, and it was Christian hip-hop is what I was listening to. And as I'm listening, you know, I'm hearing, like, different hip-hop artists and songs that I'm familiar with and songs that I'm not familiar with, and the music was low. I was waiting to pick someone up, and all of a sudden, I hear an F-bomb, and I hear some different words in this song, and I'm like, whoa, I thought I was on the Christian mix, (laughs) because I have a certain understanding of what Christian music should be like, right? And what it was is that someone somehow got into this Christian, you know, genre of Christian hip-hop, and they are now in there. So guess what happens? You could be sitting down in your car or wherever with your kids, and you could be playing your Christian, you know, just playlist, and all of a sudden, this preacher's kid thing, you think it's okay, pops up and starts singing songs that are not just making fun of your faith, but all of a sudden using language that you would, you know, if you were like little old school, might wash your child's mouth out with soap for using, hello. There's a problem with this, right? There's an issue with this, and, 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 and I think that it's important for us to consider this. Now, now just, just to give you some, some clarity now, she is, she is a professed Christian, and her father is a priest within the Episcopal Church. And, and, and I'm not trying, I have friends, you've, had, you've heard um, Reverend John Davis, who has come here, one of my great friends, one of the guys that I pray with, he is an Episcopalian priest, and, but he is a man of God, and he is there, and he says even within his own you know, area of ministry, he feels like an exile, because what? Because he is a, uh, I'm not even going to call him a conservative, because that has some funny connotation to it, but he is a biblicist. He is one who takes scripture literally, and he wants to uh, uh, abide by and adhere to. And I want you to know that within these denominations that we would just, you know, call Ichabod, the glory of God has left them. There are those who are fighting for the faith. There are those who are standing firm and saying, nope, your, your interpretation of scripture is incorrect. Your, your application of scripture is not right. 
Nonetheless, that's the reason why this young woman is there and embracing this ideology that is anti-biblical. And why do I bring this up? Because we're talking about false teachers. We're talking about false teaching. That is what Jude is speaking about in the text here. And the reality of Jude's words that we've read, and we'll expound them and unpack them a little bit more in a moment, is that these are words about rebels being rejected. And what do I mean by being rejected? What I mean by being rejected is I mean judged eternally. There is a judgment that comes for those who decide that they are going to rebel against God. And now, I want to say this this morning because I think that this is very important. And it is this, it is that to wrestle with one's faith is not the same as rebelling against the faith. I want you to think about that. There is a difference between wrestling with your faith and rebelling against the faith. I, I want you to know, when, 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 and, and I actually, I commented on, on the article that I read that talked about the words that she used. And what I said was this. I said, obviously, you know, the things that she is saying, making fun of, you know, uh, missions and, you know, talking about people getting rich off of, you know, missionary work and things like that. And talking about, you know, um, youth lock-ins. I'm, I'm a youth pastor, right? And so I come from that understanding of how good a youth lock-in can be. Also, how bad they can be. Anything can be bad. Hello. But the one thing that I was hopeful for is that I think that there is a way, right? Like there is, uh, there, there may be a real wrestling within her faith. I have a, have a couple of, um, of, of conversations that she's had with some people who have been liberated from the, the LGBTQ influence and who have come out of lesbianism. And, and she's having some conversation. I haven't listened to those videos yet, but I'm hopeful that in those videos, the, the truth that she was hearing, because one of the, uh, one, one of the, the, the women who was speaking, her I can't remember her name right now. Her name is, I know her first name is Jackie, and she's a hip-hop spoken word um, person, Jackie Hill. And, and she has come out of this lesbian lifestyle. And as she is engaging in the conversation, I saw like the first part of the clip. And in the first part of the clip, what she tells her is that, so and this is Semler asking her, if I come to your church, um, would I be able to be there? And, and she's like, and Jackie Hill responds and says, well, to come and be part of this church and this community, and, you know, you're going to have to, there's going to have to be some repentance. And so Semler says, so you mean like I would have to turn away from my marriage? And Jackie Hill was like, yes. So that's good because she's being confronted with truth. But I want to make it clear. There's a difference because there may be people in here. There may be people that are hearing us when we, you know, on the podcast or something like that, that they may be wrestling with their faith, you know. And it's not, it's not an age thing, right? Because you could be wrestling when you're, with your faith when you're like 40, 50, 60, you know, 80. I don't know. I mean, you could still be wrestling with some things of the faith. It's okay to wrestle with the faith. It's a totally different thing to rebel against the faith. And we have to be able to discern the difference when someone is coming to us. Church, listen, if it, what, what we have to have is, is we need to have this safe space where people can wrestle with their faith vocally and you don't like jump down their throat because they have questions that you may not like them to, to ask questions about. Because, you know, there's this thing, right? Like we don't like, you know, some of us, we don't want the boat to be rocked. We don't want someone to come and ask us a hard question like, man, you know, how could God judge people eternally? Like, that's a tough question. 
Nonetheless, it's in the scriptures. It doesn't mean we, we, we erase it, right? We don't just ignore it and say, well, it's not there, you know, or we're just going to tiptoe around it. No, it's a reality. It's a harsh reality, but the fact is God has done everything, and we're going to see this when we look at his judgments, but God has done everything to rescue every person who is willing. He has done everything to show them his love. He has done everything to show them his mercy. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Nonetheless, there are eternal consequences. He created us as eternal beings, and so we can wrestle with some of these questions. We can wrestle with the questions, how can I, and, and let me let, can, can I just say something since we're on this topic? How can, how can I, and I'm not saying me, I'm saying someone comes and has this question. I've sat down in an, in an office with someone and had this conversation. How is it that I, being raised in a Christian home, never been raped, never had a bad example of a relationship, and yet I genuinely and legitimately am attracted to, the, to, to my same sex? More attracted to, I'm married with children, and yet I still have this thing that I can't deny. Sounds complicated, doesn't it? Sin is complicated. There's no easy answer to these questions, but there are biblical truths that we don't deny. And church, we have to be sensitive in those conversations, not to ostracize someone because they have genuine questions or because they have a genuine struggle with sin that you don't understand. Because since you don't feel it, well, it's not real. Wait a second, but they're, they're experiencing it. But we don't change truth to appease feelings. I'll give you one more example and, and, and we'll move on. But Sam Alberry, I think his name is, he is another man. He's a, a ministry, I think it's called Coming Out or something like that. And he's a man that, that battles with same-sex attraction. And in listening to him speak, he said, when I came to terms with this as a young man, I realized that this was something that was real in my life. Same-sex attraction was real. And he said, and I had to make a decision. He said, am I going to embrace what the scriptures say or am I going to embrace what the culture is saying and what I am feeling? This is what he said he had to deal with. And so the first thing he did was he said, well, let me make sure that's what the scriptures say. So he dug in, he wrestled with the text and he said, I came across and it was crystal clear that God created Men and women and marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. And he came to terms with one thing that I think is so powerful is that our sexuality does not identify us. The gospel does. And so we are identified not by our feelings, emotions. Nope. I'm identified by who Christ says that I am. First thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this, say, the Old Testament, the Old Testament serves, serves as our example, as our example of, how of how God rejects rebels. Rejects rebels. The Old Testament serves as our example of how God rejects rebels. So let's just read verses 5 through 11 together. Just one more time, I want us to, to, to get into the text here. He says, but I want to remind you, and so in other words, he is bringing, remember, Jude is writing to them because he wants to remind them of the, of the faith. He wants to remind them. He wants to encourage their faith. But remember, he had to take a, a right turn and, and lead them to defend the faith. And so you defend the faith 
by being reminded of some things. He says, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, and, and he's going to the Old Testament, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Do you think that's a tough text to deal with? I would say that that's tough. When you read Jude's words, these are tough words. Like he, I mean, if you want to get like, like deep in the, in, in the weeds, you just go to Jude. That's all you got to do. Read, read these, nine, these verses, these 14 verses that we're going to deal with this morning. And, and there's some messy stuff up in here. The Old Testament is messy. There's no question about that. God saves people. He rescues them from the land of Egypt. And then he does what? He judges them because he's mean, right? Because he's harsh, because he's angry. No, it's because they would not believe. They wouldn't believe, they wouldn't trust him. They experienced his judgment clearly because they didn't believe. So verse six, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. You think that's tough to deal with? Of course it is. Angels left their proper abode, their proper domain. They got out of their lane in an eternal sense. Hello. They left where they were supposed to be. They rebelled against God, and now they are reserved for everlasting judgment. Verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth. Check this out. Look at these words. Church, this is so important. Are set forth as an example. I, 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 can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Jude is saying, when we're looking at the Old Testament, don't ignore it. It is not just there for you to be like, oh, that's great stories and great history. No, no, no. It is so you can look at the example that is there and how God feels about sin. When we look at the Old Testament, we have to see this. He says, set forth as an example of what? Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The, the Sodom and Gomorrah experienced the fire of God, the fire and brimstone that came from heaven, what vengeance looks like from God. He goes on and says, likewise, also these dreamers, speaking of those. So he gives them this Old Testament example. Then he comes back into the present day, likewise. So just like these Israelites without faith, just like these angels who didn't want to worship God and maintain their position, just like Sodom and Gomorrah who gave themselves over to sexual immorality, just like this, likewise, also these dreamers defile flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. They have no respect for the authority that Scripture says that we should have respect for. They, they, they have this mindset. And then he gives this example that we're all like scratching our heads. And, you know, I, I did a report on this uh, last year or the year before as I was doing, finishing up my bachelor's. But yet Michael the archangel... In contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So again, some tough stuff to deal with, but nonetheless, there was a dispute that took place between the enemy and the archangel Michael over the body of Moses. Remember, Moses goes up to the mountain. He doesn't die, and, and he, he does, he, he does, he's up there, and then you know, that's where he ends up dying apparently, but at that moment, Israel's going over, so apparently there was an argument over his body 
And yet the archangel Michael doesn't even disrespect Satan like he doesn't matter. But he shows respect and says, the power is not with me, but the Lord rebuke you. The power is with God Almighty. But, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Let me ask you a question. Have you seen in our days anybody speaking evil? Anybody just disrespecting authority just because we don't like them, you know? And this goes to homes, right? This goes to our homes. This goes to politics. This goes to church. Come on now. I mean, think about it. Just, if you just think about think about maybe some of the conversations you've had. I'm not saying you were doing that. I hope you weren't doing that. But, but, but think about the way that people, you, and, and, and you know what's funny, and this is funny in a sad way, they'll use scripture to justify their words and actions. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things, they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Again, when we look at the Old Testament, we cannot disregard it because Jude, as well as Paul, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, the apostle Paul says that these things are written for our example. So you have two witnesses in the New Testament who are telling us the things that are written in the Old Testament are there for our example. Church, here's what should happen. Anybody ever heard, or maybe you have felt, in either one, you can raise your hand. Have you ever heard or felt, man, the God of the Old Testament was extremely harsh? Anybody, anyone? Like it almost looks like, right, and, and some people make this argument that the God of the Old Testament is, is a different God than the God of the New Testament. Ever heard that one? Anybody ever, right? Not saying you thought it, I'm just saying people will say that. The God of the Old Testament, and there's two different gods there. No, there's not two different gods. There is something that happened in between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and that was the covenant maker came. And when Jesus came, what he did was he endured the wrath of God so that way man did not have to endure that wrath. That's a beautiful thing. The gospel that we trust in is that Jesus, because God the Father, it is not that God is harsh, it is that God is holy. It is not that God is ruthless and vengeful, it is that God is holy. And see, you and I don't understand holiness. We, we don't really get holiness. Like, like, we don't understand what it means to be pure and to be righteous and to have no evil within us. We don't understand having not one bad motive because, man, we could be doing something right and all of a sudden we start to see other motives popping up. Our leaders were having breakfast at the Banos house. I encourage you, invite yourself to the Banos for the Banos breakfast bonanza. If you haven't been there yet, you need to be there. Great time. We were sitting down and we were talking and I was giving premarital counseling to, you know, some young folks at the table. And I said, you know, I said, when you, uh, you know, when you get married, you know, you, you, you are going to have a honeydew list. Hallelujah. And then, and then because I wanted to score points, right, I, I knew that I immediately had to follow up. And I said, but I want you to know it's worth it. It's worth it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. 
But you know what I know about a honey-do list? I'm trying to make my honey happy. Hello, somebody. It's not necessary that I want to do the list, right? But, you know, anyway, I want some honey, I guess. We'll just leave it there for the married folk in the room, right? There's hidden motives, but God is not like that. God loves because he is love. God wants our good for us, and God is pure. And even in that, you know what you find in the Old Testament? We see a God who is patient, a God who is long-suffering. The only thing that we see is we see God lay the smack down a lot more in the Old Testament than we do in the New Testament. But let us not forget Ananias and Sapphira. Because even after the cross, even after the resurrection, God laid the smack down. Not just on the husband, Ananias, but hello, Sapphira came in hours later. She didn't know what was happening. Like, you're going to lie too? Come on now. I'll be honest. I don't think we can handle Ananias and Sapphira because I think there will be a lot of dead folks. Hello. Because we don't walk in holiness like that. We don't walk in the fear of the Lord. I love, I was at a, I was at a, at a, at a um, retirement service this past Friday for my pastor, and the pastor who was preaching, he was talking, and he was talking about running your race. He was talking about the race that was set before you. And one of the things that I love that he said, and my sister Griselle was amening, she was like, amen, amen, amen. He said, when you run the race, he said, you know what? There's things that you have to say no to that are not necessarily sin just because they're going to cause you to stumble. Or they may cause someone else to stumble. There are certain things that you can do that if you're really running your race, guess what? You're going to have to say no to for the glory and the honor of God. We don't want to hear that. But you know what? When you look at Olympiads, you look at people who are doing their Olympics, if they're going to be winners, you know what they do? They say no to a bunch of stuff that they could say yes to. They say no to cheesecake, not because cheesecake is sin. But because cheesecake can cause you to add a couple of inches. Hello, somebody. It can, it can cause you to have stomach issues when it's time to perform. Therefore, what do you do? You say no to cheesecake. You say no to alcohol. Listen, come on. Y'all know the stories about when you, you're a boxer, you need legs. Hello, if you're a man, guess what you don't do? You don't get no honey. Hello, somebody. Because what? Because when you got to stand, if you have partaken of things that are okay... It's not illegal. It's not sinful. Church, we don't understand holiness the way God does. And so when we think of God rejecting rebels, we have to understand, man, God is a holy God. When we look at the Old Testament, you know what it should do? It should strike fear in our hearts because you know what Hebrews says? Hebrews says that God is, not God was, he is a consuming fire. So what is a rebel? What is a rebel? I want to be clear because, again, wrestling with your faith is not the same as being a rebel against the faith. A rebel is someone who refuses to repent of sin. 
who continues living in rebellion against God's authority. A rebel that God is rejecting is someone who refuses to repent of sin, continuing to live in rebellion against God's authority. So what does Jude do? Jude gives us three Old Testament examples of rebellion, of rebellion in general. He shows us this in Israel. He shows us this in the angels. He shows us this in Sodom and Gomorrah. Gives us three examples of a corporate example of rebellion. Of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding regions, they rebelled against God. The angels, it was not just one angel, but it was a host of the angels that rebelled against God. It wasn't just one Israelite that was, that, that was judged for unbelief. It was Israelites who came out of this bondage who God had rescued, and yet they end up in this judgment. But then he goes on and he gives us three specific examples of rebels in Cain, in Balaam, and in Korah. Cain is, is, is a guy, he's like the first murderer in scripture. Murders his brother because of what? And why was he jealous? Because he wanted to worship God the way he wanted to and thought God should be happy with it. Because we don't understand holiness. We want to give God what we want to give God, not what God wants. See, holiness is holistic. It's not just partial. It's holistic. Holy he is. Cain was like, you know what? I'm my own savior. I don't need a savior. That's what worship is about, ultimately. Worship is about saying, you know what? I can save myself or I need another savior. When we worship him, not just in song, but with our lives, what I'm saying is, I cannot save myself. So he denies him in, 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 the, in, in the salvation process because I'm going to worship you how I want. Even though God says, if you go back and read it, you don't have to do it now. But when you go back and you read Genesis chapter 4, you know what God says? You know what's right. How did he know? Somehow God told him. Somehow he knew Somehow his brother, Abel, was like, no, this is what God wants. This is how we worship God, not how you want to worship God. This is how we worship him. But he goes on. I want you to notice this. Woe, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Notice the first thing is they go in the way of Cain. You're going to worship God how you want. Second thing he says, have run greedily in the era of Balaam. So notice the progression. So first you go in the way, you go in a way, then you start running that way. All of a sudden you start moving in a different direction. It starts off, you know, just passive and, you know, slowly and progressively, but all of a sudden now you're running in, in greed. This is what happened with these teachers. Balaam, he was the prophet of the Lord. There was no question. God spoke to him, told him what to do, what not to do. And yet Balaam wanted money more than he wanted to honor God. Greedy. That's what happens when you start rejecting God's ways. Your heart begins to change. And then Korah, Korah just thought like, yo, Moses, why are you, you a prophet? But you're not the only prophet. Why do you get all this authority? Why do you get all this respect? And God was like, okay. Read the text. You know what happened? The earth opened up and swallowed them. Hello. Pretty intense judgment. They chose this rebellion because they were rebelling against the God of heaven. 
I want, I want to say this because I think that this is so very important for us because we're talking about depths of sin. We must not, church, hear me when I say this. We must not suppress our sin for the sake of propriety, but we must address our sin for the sake of the gospel. For some reason, people think that we should just not talk about our sin issues. One of my buddies, Scott, who you know I told you about, we went out and we, we've done the... Uh, knocking on the doors. Um, one thing that Scott talks about, he talks about the book of James where it talks about confessing sin and how liberating it is when we confess sin one to another. Now listen, I'm not talking about you getting up here in front of the whole church and confessing. We're not going to have a confessional like that. Nor am I talking about going into a little room with, you know, a veil between me and you and coming and confessing your sin because I don't think that that's helpful either, you know, I, I, you know, because you're still hiding. But I do think that when you are in small groups and you are with brothers, you know, and, and be contextual in what you're talking about. Don't be going here confessing crazy stuff in front of, you know, mixed company. I think you need to be wise in all of that. But you need to have someone, you need to have a group of brothers or sisters in your life that you can confess sin to. Don't suppress sin. Address it. Deal with it. Wrestle with it. Let the text of Scripture, let somebody else speak into your life regarding the sin that you're wrestling with. Don't just jump, don't think you can deal with it on your own. For some, some people in the church, they've been wrestling with sin. They've been in the closet with their sin for so long. And I'm not just talking about, you know, um, lesbianism or homosexuality. I'm talking about other things like, you know, um, pornography, you know, lying, cheating, greed. I mean, you, you go down the list. I mean, there, there's things that people are wrestling with in secret. And they're like, God, I'm not going to do it again. They do it again. And they have yet to come. And you've heard it said, and, and, you, and you felt the conviction. Man, I need to get somebody in on this. But you won't, you won't confess it to anyone. Because you think this is just between me and God. Read the book of James. I don't think it's just between you and God. We need to address our sin for the sake of the gospel. But we also need to address our sin for the sake of the church. Because if not, we end up hurting the church. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, rebels, rebels. are rejected. Because they are stumbling stones. Rebels are rejected because they are stumbling stones. They're not, they're not rejected because God is harsh. It is because they are stumbling stones. Let's read verses 12 to verse 15. As, as, as Jude explains who these people are, then he says, These, people like the ones we just described, are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are spots within your love feast. That's the gathering. That's the fellowship of the saints. They are spots in that gathering together. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Oh. Jude gives like this amazing poetic explanation. And, and what we have to realize again is that our rebellion against God always, not sometimes, always has a negative impact. Let that sink in for a moment. Our Rebellion against God always 
has a negative impact. No matter how private your sin is, it always affects relationship. It may, it may affect your relationship with God above everything else, but more, more times than not, it affects those horizontal relationships as well. Oh, it's just private sin, and yet you're hiding it from your spouse. Do you think that's affecting your relationship? I would say yes. It's private sin. Do you think that's affecting your relationship with your brothers or sisters in the church? I would say yes. Because what do we begin to do? We hide our sin, so how do we hide it best? By hiding from others. So we stay, we isolate ourselves. Scripture says in the book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, he who isolates himself seeks his own counsel. He rages against all wise counsel. So when someone isolates themselves, guess what they don't want to do? They don't want to hear what anybody else has to say. They, 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 they want to do what they want to do, so I'm just going to hide my sin. That is hindering. That is a, a problem. These false teachers, how does he describe them? He describes them, first of all, as spots in our love feast. They are blemishes. They, 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 are, they are soiling the atmosphere. They're bringing sin into the atmosphere. And notice this word, because you may not see this in this word, depending on your translation, but it also means they are hidden reefs. You know, you know what a reef is, right? The reef in the ocean. Has, any, has anyone ever, like, hit a reef by accident? Anyone? Like, like, and you get all cut up and it messes you up? Well, think about this from a ship's perspective. If a ship is going and there's a reef that is there that they cannot detect. So remember when this is written? They didn't have radars back then. Hello, somebody. They didn't have some noise that was letting them know, hey, there's, a, there's something close again. No, if, they, if the, the, the reef was hidden, it would do what? It would sink the ship. They're hidden reefs. So these false teachers are what? These are people that we got to be conscious of because they may seem like they're not doing any wrong, but hello, they're hidden reefs. They have the potential to sink the ship. They're selfish shepherds. And in and, and my translation, it says that they serve only themselves. But in another translation, they are shepherds. That word there, serving themselves, right? Serving is the word poimene, which is where we get the word shepherding from. So they're shepherding for themselves. They lead because it's all about them, not about others. They don't care about other people's well-being. They, they're not concerned about others. It's all about themselves. They are waterless clouds. Why does this matter? Because when you see clouds, the other day I was standing outside in the back of my house. I think it was yesterday morning. Max was using the bathroom. I was looking up, and it was, and, and you know, have, you ever have those, those cool moments where you, you see the clouds that they're moving so fast? It's like, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's something almost unreal. Like, wow, man, these things are really moving like across the sky. They seem so low. And so I'm looking at these clouds, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. But you know, when you were a farmer back in those days, you know what you depended on? You depended on those clouds to give rain. Hello. We have these amazing sprinkler systems that we could set on a timer, you know, like, no, 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 they have all that. And so they depend. But these were clouds. This, this is what these false teachers were like. They were like clouds. They looked like they had something to offer, but they didn't. <laughs> they looked like they were going to bring you something. They were going to bring you life. They didn't. They moved about by the wind. They, they, were, they, were, they were blowing about the wind of doctrine. Fruitless trees. You know, somebody's hungry back in those days, and you would go up to, you know, this fruit tree, and, and imagine how frustrating it is. You get to this tree. It's the time for the tree to give fruit. You get to it, nothing. Hello. Straight hungry. Just mad. They look like they're offering you life. They don't. 
raging waves, waves that are moving, that are, that are coming, looking like they're doing something. And what do they do? You ever see waves? They crash on the beach, and then they fizzle out. Great swelling words. That's what Paul, I mean, that's what Jude is saying. And then he says that they are falling stars or wandering stars in some of your scriptures there. Falling stars is a better idea because it's not the stars that are up there and the constellations that are constant. They look like there's something, and then they're falling. Jude makes this clear. The result of these false teachers is what? Is the result of these false teachers' rebellion is divine judgment. Look what he says about Enoch, verse 14. He says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. So this is not something new, right? Like this is something that was prophesied of long ago. What we are seeing, church, listen. You may be like, man, Bishop, what does this matter? This matters because this is what we're seeing in our church world. I just talked about in the beginning of this one situation, a young woman who is, who is, who is walking in deception. And, and I'm not, listen, what I'm saying is I'm praying for her and hoping that she actually listens to truth that is being spoken by those who have come out of that lifestyle. But the fact is you have people who are sitting in pulpits all over the world and are more concerned about entertaining people. They're more concerned about seats or butts in seats. They're more concerned by, by money in bank accounts. They're more concerned about making you feel good than they're actually concerned about calling you to Christ. They're more concerned with people feeling good. We live in this moment, and listen, I have no issue at all with, with, with justice. I have issues with the mixed-up definition of social justice. But here's what I'm saying. I want to help people that are hurting. I want to minister to people that are going through difficult situations in this world. I want Listen, I want to be part of solutions to problems that we have in our culture. But church, I know the greatest issue in our world is the sin in the hearts of people. And the problem is we are not calling people to repentance. We're calling people to their best life, not realizing that the disconnect is what? It's the sin that disconnects them from their best life. And if they would address their sin, they would live the best life. Not, I'm not saying they're going to have everything they want, but they will live the best life that God wants for them. So Enoch prophesied about these people. And look what he says. He says, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, that will be us in this time of judgment, verse 15, to execute judgment on all. Now notice he says judgment on all, but he's going to clarify who all is. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Did you hear my emphasis on ungodly? Four times he talks about ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. We talked about ungodly last week. Ungodly means what? Living as though God does not exist ungodly. Those are the ones who are going to experience God's judgment. Those who have decided to rebel against God, their result will be what? Is that God's judgment is going to be personal. Listen, it's not going to be someone else executing judgment. God himself is going to execute judgment. It's not just going to be personal. It's going to be universal on every person who is ungodly and has rebelled against God. They will experience God's judgment, and it is going to be just, meaning that there will be no excuse as to why or how could God be so harsh in judgment. 
Church, we have to be on guard against false teaching. Because false teaching leads people into this judgment. False teaching leads people to being secure in the sin in which they live, and they're walking right into the hands of the wrath of God. We have to realize, man, we cannot placate. We cannot not speak up. We have to, have to be on guard against false teaching. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say rebellion, rebellion. against God, against God. Is, rooted is rooted in self-centered living. Rebellion against God is rooted in self-centered living. Verse 16 and verse 19, this is what he says, the last these. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Flattering people to gain advantage. Instead of calling people to repentance... Instead of calling people to turn from sin, they grumble and complain against all of those who would say, nope, that's sin. Nope, you can't just live how you want to live. We were talking about it with our men on Saturday. We were talking about this word, integrity. We were talking about being men who stand up for what is right. And one of the things came up, you know, this is the term now, you know, that's, that's your truth. No. There is a way, the book of Proverbs says, that seems right to a man, but the end thereof. Destruction. Are we bold enough? Courageous enough? How about this? Are we compassionate enough? Do we care enough not to let those that we love and those that we claim to love and care for just continue on in the path they're going, or will we speak up, even if it means they won't talk to us anymore? Church, there's two things we have to be aware of. It's not just the grumblers. It's the ones that's listening to the grumblers. It's not just the complainers. It's the ones that's listening to the complainers. It's not just the ones who are, who are, who are doing these things according to their own lust, but it's the ones who follow their example. That's why Jude's exhortation becomes so important for us. He says, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, having not the spirit of God. It would seem, I don't know about you, but it would seem, and I know some of you may be like, man, Hard words. Jude's words are hard. It would seem that it's almost impossible for anyone to heed these false teachers. But here's what happens. When our selfishness is appeased and the conviction of sin is diminished, false teaching is much easier to fall prey to. When all I do is make you feel good about yourself. When all I do is make you feel okay in your sin because I don't call it sin anymore. When that's all that happens, it's so much easier to just, well, that felt good. I, I feel good. I did my religious thing. I'm part of a community who is doing mission stuff. 
I'm part of a community that is helping the hurting. I'm part, and and I'm, not, I'm not saying those things are wrong. Can I say it like this? I think where the church has fallen short is that we have been, in some cases, about holiness, but not about helping hurting people. I would say that, that we could do more to help hurting people for sure. I think that that should always be a goal that we can look forward to, but don't make the only mission helping in the physical sense. And that's what we've done. The apostles prophesied of these times, these are the, that, that these false teachers that, that would come. And here's what we have to do is we cannot afford to ignore those who are sensual. What does that mean, sensual persons? Soulish, worldly people. They're more concerned about this plane than they are about the holiness of God. They seem spiritual because they're very in tune emotionally. But they're sensual, not spiritual. They cause divisions. Do you think there's division? I've been talking about division for months. And trust me, there was division way before those months happened. Years of division that has been rising up in the church. But these are people that cause division usually around what? Biblical truth. And these are people who do not have the spirit of God. How do you know if someone has the spirit of God? Well, first of all, they got to be born again. How do you know if someone is born again? Well, number one, they will bear fruits worthy of repentance. When we're born again, you know what we do? We turn from sin. I have a problem with this terminology. I was reading someone, you know, I was reading a post yesterday, and um, somebody was having a conversation, and somebody talked about, yeah, you know, you have to accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. And I'm wrestling with this term. I'm like, okay, first of all, do we find that explicitly taught in the Scripture? And someone is in here, and they're like, yeah, but Bishop, isn't it just semantics? No, it's not just semantics. It's not. It's not. To be a follower of Jesus We are called to repent and believe. Repent and believe. We are called to recognize our sin, our separation from God. It's not just about making Jesus. You cannot make Jesus Lord of your life. You can submit to him as Lord. And how do you do that? It is through repentance, not a prayer. It's not just a moment where you say, okay, God, I'm praying this prayer. Listen, I'm okay. You can pray whatever prayer you want to pray. You can lead people in whatever prayer you want to pray. But it is greater than this. It is, listen, there has to be repentance. There has to be a recognition that my ways are not God's ways, that my thoughts are not God's thoughts, that my desires are not, that they're not only not God's, they are anti-God. I have to realize that my way of living, the natural bent in me, is away from God. Repent and believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe in your heart because, you know, when you believe this in your heart, you can't help but repent. Because when you really believe he is the son of God, guess what? You can't continue living in rebellion against him. When you really believe this resurrection is real, you cannot continue to live ignoring that truth. Church, we're called to call people to repentance. So born-again people, people who have the spirit, they are constantly living in repentance. They are recognizing, man, that's not a godly life, just like Sam Albury did. He said, man, that's, I, I, can't, I can't ignore the truth. So I may, I may, he, and he says it. He says, I may die with same-sex attraction, but I'm not going to give in to that as what is okay. I'm going to fight that till the day I die. Listen, you may live your whole life. Wanting to be a polygamist. Hello, somebody. I don't know why you would want to do that, glory to God. 
One honey-do list is enough. Amen, glory to God. <sighs> you, you may live your whole life struggling to be honest because your natural thing, your struggle is to exaggerate or lie. That doesn't, listen, you fight that sin until the day you die. This is what the scriptures teach us. But not only that, not only are you repenting, but you're growing in godly character. You're growing in compassion. You're growing in mercy. You're growing in love. You're growing in self-control. And let me just say this, and I'll wrap this up. The most practical thing that we can do to avoid deception is to never become comfortable with our sin or the sin of others professing faith in Christ. Let me say that again. The most practical thing we can do to avoid deception is never become comfortable with our sin or the sin of others professing faith in Christ. No one who is truly following Jesus can live comfortably in sin. That's the bottom line. And here's my closing question. Are you an intentional defender of the faith in lifestyle as well as words? Are you an intentional defender of the faith in lifestyle and in words? Again, I repeat, the best defense of the faith is a life that is lived for the glory of God. I have about five more points that I could make, but I won't. I'll send you guys an email with the last Four or five things that I want to say. But we're called to defend this faith intentionally in the way that we live, but also in the words that we speak. And we're living in a moment where, look, man, the, the bottom line is that the things we have to say about sin are never going to be popular. And it's not about just one sin, church. It's about all sin. Our words are never going to be popular. But we can't let that make us, A, be silent, or B, stop living for the glory of God. I want you to bow your heads, please. We're going to partake of communion in a moment. And I want you to think, man, am I, am I wrestling with faith? Am I rebelling against the faith? Am I being a defender of the faith? Is there sin that you need to confess before the Lord? Father, we humble our hearts before your word right now. You have spoken this morning. I know that I have heard you. I know that I have been challenged. And I pray that your spirit would fill each and every one of my brothers and my sisters in this place. Give us greater conviction of your righteousness, of your holiness. And let us live, God, for your glory. Let us live as defenders of this faith in the midst of a world that wants to silence us. Help us to be accountable to others and walk in holiness as you call us to. And we thank you for this, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to partake of communion. If you need communion, just raise your hands.